This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Ronald Navarro, Director for Clinical Affairs at the Kaiser Permanente Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine and Regional Coordinating Chief of Orthopedic Surgery for Kaiser Permanente Southern California. Dr. Navarro, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Laura, I'm really um, honored to be with you today, and uh, I've uh, uh, watched both Becker's uh, um, and the work that you all do there and your personal career, and I'm just uh, tickled to be able to talk to you today. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's great to have you here as well. Now, before we jump into the questions, could you please tell us a little bit more about your background? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. I was uh, born and raised in Southern California. You know, I'm kind of proud to, to say that I came of immigrant parents. My dad was uh, uh, an immigrant from Mexico and uh, worked on uh, the waterfront in Southern California and Los Angeles and provided a good uh, life for me and my four brothers. My mom was born here in America as a high school education and uh, her parents are, were immigrants from Mexico as well. And my mom and dad's uh, locations in Mexico where they're uh, um, uh, Uh, where their ancestors are from are both similar areas of the north of Mutuacan. But, you know, our lives were here in America and my dad and mom provided a good life for us. Um, I was the first in the family to get a professional degree as a phys- uh, uh, to become a physician. Uh, did undergrad at UC Santa Barbara. Um, uh, did uh, my medical school at the University of Illinois. And then I trained at Harbor General where uh, recently Tiger Woods was uh, treated. And uh, then I did a, a fellowship in sports medicine and shoulder surgeries. Uh, at University of Pittsburgh with Drs. Fu, Warner, and Harner, Dr. Warner before he went back to Harvard. So really great training, did a year in private practice, and now i am uh, been at Kaiser Permanente for a long time. Oh, fantastic. What are your top priorities today, and how do you see them evolving over the coming year? You know, given my new med school role, I'm really committed to helping it get up to speed and uh, uh, become a thriving, established educational location for medical students. There's a lot of push for um, helping women and underrepresented in my net and medicine to become more versed and become part of the orthopedic sphere. And a lot of that can begin in undergraduate medical education. So that means medical school. Yeah, I, you, we use the word, word undergraduate. People think they, they think we mean uh, um, uh, the first four years of college, uh, but undergraduate medical education is essentially medical school. So I'm hoping to kind of um, uh, work in my position in the jobs I'm expected to do, but I really want to see if there's a, a space to um, um, leverage some of the, the work of, of uh, uniting orthopedics and underrepresented in medicine to a small degree as well in that too. So that's exciting. You know, my orthopedic roles are compelling and, you know, the, um, the, pandemic, which we cannot ignore, is still going to be with us. And and even when it slows down, we want to continue to look and see how our patients uh, are going to fare with given backlogs and weights, as well as the the concepts of getting the vaccine and how that affects uh, outcomes, uh, et cetera. During the time of the pandemic, we've really looked to improve virtual and efficient delivery of services, all while keeping patients with deep satisfaction. And uh, 
my uh, research and other roles are also connected to these efforts to see how those new planned ideas of, of, of care of patients in a real efficient, virtualized way that's leaned out but still delivers high service and quality, how that will work out. Absolutely. That sounds really interesting. And when you think about some of the things as you were mentioning in the beginning in terms of bringing in more women and others who are underrepresented in orthopedics, what things do you think you can do or or how um, do you plan to do that? You know, it's interesting. I was just on a um, a, a WebEx early, early this morning at 4 a.m. because it was noon in Australia and it was with a international uh, audience where um, a new group, the um, uh, the uh, International Orthopedic Diversity Association, IODA or uh, IODA, was um, having its first WebEx and I was asked to speak. And, and a lot of the speakers uh, from across the world were saying similar things. It's about getting exposure to people, making people who are underrepresented have um, a sense that they belong and that it's not just a this club or that club. I don't want to say what the clubs are because I don't want to diminish the great people who've been in the the, uh, field before us. And I think that uh, there's been many studies that show that diverse uh, organizations, whether they be residency programs or orthopedic departments, fare better and do uh, perform better than ones that are of one, only one mind and one thought. So, um, it's about creating the exposure, creating the space for people to have diverse backgrounds and still feel accepted. And then there's two terms, mentorship and sponsorship. Mentorship, Laura, is me calling you on the phone and saying, you're really good. You can do it. And sponsorship is me saying, Laura, I believe you're so good that I'm going to put you on a committee. I'm going to do everything I can to make phone calls to ensure you because of your abilities and qualities that you can uh, take part in in something that's important. So sponsorship is even more powerful than mentorship. And it's not to diminish mentorship, but it's to say that we have to see the difference between these two terms. And I learned that from a women in medicine conference once where I thought, what are these people making these distinctions for? That's ridiculous. But now, years later, I see the difference. And I see that sponsoring people is so powerful. So uh, it's all those things that we're trying to do. That's fantastic to hear. Thank you so much for going through that with us, Dr. Navarro. Um, My next question is, what are you excited about for the future and what makes you nervous? Oh, thanks. Good question. Hard question. Um, I'm excited that we're at at the cusp of providing better condition-based care and focusing on the whole individual. We've been doing this to some degree, uh, and we continue to iterate it on uh, with with new designs, innovative designs. So what am I talking about? You know, in the realm of diabetes care, I think there's a lot of great stuff going on. And I'm not a, a, a physician who treats diabetes except peripherally when I'm doing operations and taking that into consideration. But uh, people in the cardiovascular realm and the and the endocrine realm, they they they're taking care of holistic individuals that have. Um, heart disease or, or, or diabetes and the like. And so now we're starting to think about, should we take care of knee pain in a fundamentally different way? Not just say, oh, the arthroscopist deals with the meniscus tear, the total joint surgeon deals with the total knee, and the people before them deal with whatever the knee pain was before that. 
give injections, do therapy. We think about knee pain as a, as a giant condition. And we say, who are the teams of people that need to take care of it? And can we fundamentally um, uh, change how uh, the whole condition is cared for? And, you know, included in this is maybe potentially some degree of artificial intelligence through our electronic medical records to help get patients to needed care faster by harnessing their existing data in a better way with more interdepartmental collaboration, including things like nutrition and even, um, uh, uh, you know, things of the mental health realm to understand how patients are going to fare so that patients get the best care that standardizes the care though, too, in a straightforward way. I always say um, uh, standardization is the best, best innovation. The cost structure of healthcare really makes me nervous. So we have to start working smarter, not costlier. I've recently started to think about images because orthopedic surgeons always want to look at the x-ray or the MRI, you know, many times we get calls from other providers uh, uh, and physicians and, and they say, you know, the patient did this, they slipped on this, they, it was nighttime. We always just say, what does the x-ray show? So I tend to say image equals action. So for some of what we do, we need to operationalize that, meaning if the image shows high degrees of arthritis to this condition-based care path of knee pain, should that go fundamentally into a different uh, uh, routing and systematic way of caring for it than if the image shows minimal to no uh, arthritis and there's also a concomitant MRI that shows a small meniscus tear in the patients of a younger age? Does that go into a different branch of the system so that we systemize it, but it's sensible and patients are getting to where they need to be faster? Uh, we have to be more con committed as healthcare docs and other providers, uh, as, as well as patients to patient reported outcomes. I know there's a lot of work going on there and there's always more work to be done to, to not actually make the out the proms or patient reported, uh, um, uh, outcomes, uh, measures, uh, available, but get, get filled out so that we, we get proms on a great number of patients. Quality measures are always going to be important and to have, and have become more, probably conventional or basal or autonomic in our operations, meaning we know that uh, mortality, uh, readmission, infection rates, uh, uh, venous thromboembolism rates are important. And that just the, uh, should be a basic expectation to keep those rates low, not just always talk just about that. We have to talk about the next level of measures, the patient reported outcomes and the cost of care. Got it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting, as you mentioned, and looking at, you know, how orthopedic patients can be treated differently as the whole patient, first and foremost, and then, you know, really looking at the cost structure of care as well, and what you can do as the orthopedic surgeon on that end to make sure that patients are getting the best value out of their care. I have one more question for you before we wrap up our conversation. Can you share three pieces of advice for emerging leaders today? Well, it's really a great question, hard question. When um, I, I kind of want to chuckle, but but here's what I think. Just really uh, uh, in a in a in a kind of a finite, short way, I think uh, we have to all be honest about what what we can do at the level we're at. When you're a medical student, I think that you can do certain things, and you also cannot. Um, you cannot probably uh, attempt to change the world. I, I never say never or never say always in my business. And, and I think it, we should take that approach. And I think that the, the, um, 
the exceptionally rare person can change things at any level, but I think we have to work within the constraints of the level we're at. And, and I think if you just are exceptional for your level, I think that that's a lofty and aspirational goal. The second thing is make a mark with your output. And, and, and I believe that if you do that great work that I talked to at the first, that's eventually what get, gets you the podium or the soapbox, or the podcast uh, to, 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 to the work we're doing today. Later on, if you try and lead with um, some fundamental difference that you have and haven't done the work to prove that you're a good clinician or that you are uh, 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 work within a team atmosphere well, that may not always get you the podium, the soapbox, or the podcast. And, and I'm not trying to exclude anybody. I just think that we all have to start by our work and, and, and really proving that, that uh, we can really do the key, the basic work well. And then later on you get the, uh, the other uh, attention. And so then lastly, I think opinions are great and actions are actions and long-term oper- oper- uh, operationalizing ideas are what people are remembered by. So often we always have these great ideas, but it's not always that we make them put them into operation and then measure them down the line to prove that they are uh, really uh, um, delivering on the idealized hope that they can deliver on. And so it's real, it's kind of hard work and basic work. And some people believe it to be boring and mundane, but at the end you're remembered by what you really, uh, the legacy is by what other people do daily because of the uh, hard work you put into to uh, make something actionable. Dr. Navarro, I think that's all great advice that you have for emerging leaders. It's really interesting. Number one, talking about being honest about what you can do at the level that you're at. Number two, uh, making an impact at your output first, becoming a great clinician before you then um, take your opportunities at the podium. And then finally, taking your opinions and your ideas into actions and operationalizing those ideas. That's really what leaders are remembered by. I think that's great advice. And I really appreciate you being here on the podcast. Thank you so much. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thanks for your time, Laura.